when I uh, graduated from Dallas Seminary in um, uh, May of uh, 1985, uh, Dr. John Hanna was the head of the historical theology department, and he is still there. He must have known Moses. He's been there a long, long time. Um, just a great, great man uh, teaching historical theology. Uh, and so he, he spoke to our graduating class. Um, there was a Greek Orthodox church across the street from the school, uh, and they, they put all of us in there as students, and he gave us uh, a parting challenge uh, as a professor. Uh, and then in typical Dallas Seminary form, to make sure that we didn't forget what he said, remember when they sent you paper before there was a computer? Uh, and uh, so he sent us this uh, multi-page document. I think it's, a f yeah. it's four pages and it's numbered. Uh, and he wanted to make sure that we as future leaders in the church did not forget what we were called to do, which is preach the word of God in season and out of season. But he also gave us a lot of sagacious advice uh, back then. And I was 27 at the time, you know, listening to him and, and, and reading through this and thinking, uh, oh yeah, that had never happened to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, some of the things he talks about in here, they do happen to you. But um, I've, I've, gone, I've kept this document uh, because it means a lot to me, uh, because it helps me remember what I'm supposed to be doing. Because sometimes when you're in the thick of a fight, a complex situation, you can get confused and wonder what am I supposed to be doing? But this has given me a lot of uh, direction and wisdom and counsel over the years, which is why it is still in my possession. So uh, I don't know how you feel about getting uh, wise, godly counsel from wise, godly people. Uh, I've lived that way my whole life. Uh, and Dr. Hannah is just uh, one of those individuals that's spoken to my life and, uh, and, and, and has, has helped me as I've gone. I went, actually went back through and read this thing word for word this week. Uh, just to refresh my memory of, okay, what does a pastor face? Uh, and when you look at uh, chapter three, we have finally made it, praise God, to chapter three of Second Thessalonians. I know it is probably shocking to you, but you're thinking, well, it's going to be six months. Uh, no, it's only going to be two Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday, uh, that we are going to look at this. And then we, uh, we're going to pause and... Um, uh, do a, a Christmas series because uh, it is approaching Christmas. But when you when you look at chapter three of Second Thessalonians, um, it is is it is basically Paul acting like Dr. Hannah. Uh, he's just finished two letters to the church he founded. Uh, he's graduating them as as it were, uh, and he's giving them his closing counsel. And so uh, he wants them to know how to function uh, in the days that he said are going to become very difficult for the church. Uh, as we approach the coming of Christ. So they were, they were being persecuted in their uh, seaside city in Thessalonica uh, by all of the Roman community that was angry that they abandoned the Roman gods. Uh, and, and Paul is encouraging those saints who are being persecuted as we have seen. Uh, and, and in chapter two and in chapter three, he's given them a lot of information on how to live the Christian life uh, in light of the times in which we live. And, and chapter three is no exception. Uh, he's still answering the question, how should we live as Christians in tough times? Uh, but he switches the gears here a little bit, uh, and it's more, he's sharing his heart here because he's going to talk about himself. Um, he's going to give us a couple concepts as we look at these verses today, uh, two this morning, uh, as we look at the first five verses. The first thing that he's going to say uh, for Christians about how they should live in tough times is that they should be people of prayer. And this is what he says, like a really good pastor, Paul had spent most of his time uh, in these two letters addressing all of their needs as a church. Um, they had a lot of theological issues. They had personal issues. He addressed all of those. But when you get to verse one, uh, he actually stops and talks about his needs as a pastor. He doesn't do that very often. Um, as a pastor, think about, think about Paul. He knew thousands of people. Uh, 
all over the known world from all of his travels. Uh, but as a leader, he felt lonely. Uh, if you are a leader, if you're in the military uh, and you're an officer, um, there's times when you're lonely, correct? It is. It comes with the turf because the higher up you go up the food chain, um, you know a lot of people, uh, but, but there's a loneliness up there. And that, and that, was, uh, that was Paul. Um, when he would go to cities uh, to preach the gospel, uh, there was no welcoming committee. It was just Paul with his tent-making equipment. Uh, if, he, if he wanted to find a place to, to speak and preach, he had to locate that. He had really nobody going before him uh, doing that for him. Uh, when he finished speaking, there were no uh, speaking fees. Uh, they weren't paying him a vast amount of money to show up. Uh, he lived off the meager, meager money that he made, uh, fixing tents and repairing tents and making tents. Um, when people were not able to answer his airtight arguments, uh, they called him names. Uh, they passed rumors around about him. Uh, devious people misquoted him. I've, I've experienced all these things. Misquoted him. They lied about him. Uh, they would follow him from city to city and, uh, and, and whip up at people against him. Uh, and so he had a tough ministry, but he continued on as we're going to see. Uh, and so he's going to pause here and he's going he's gonna to share his heart. And from this, uh, you can learn uh, if you're a spiritual leader in a church, whether you're a pastor, uh, someone who teaches a, a life group, Sunday school, etc. cetera, uh, he's sharing his heart uh, about what his prayer needs are. Because notice what he says. Verse one, finally, brethren, pray for who? Us. Who's the us? Well, Paul and his, his missionary team. Uh, he says, pray for us. Uh, why? Uh, well, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. So, if you're a leader, like if you're a military leader and all you do is talk about the negative things in your life that are not going well, what's it gonna do to everybody under your command? It's gonna, maybe you do do this. <laughs> uh, you don't wanna do that. If you only talk about the negative things that are going on all the time, you're gonna discourage everybody under your command. Do you understand this? You need to present a positive format, you know, go charge the hill, whatever. You need to, you need to present a winning attitude. Uh, and that's what Paul typically does. He doesn't talk a lot in his letters about the things that he faces, although he does occasionally. Uh, but he wants to present a, a positive persona to encourage them. So they're being persecuted. And so Paul's been telling them all along, uh, let me pray for you. He's done that throughout these books. And let me answer your questions about your persecution. Uh, and he's done that. But here he stops to say, you know, I, I, I need some prayer. Could you, could you pray for us? So he has two prayer requests. The first one is, that they would pray that he would be effective. And I've thought about a lot as I've studied this. Um, as a pastor uh, of a church, um, why are you the pastor of that church? Well, I don't know about you, but I can identify with Paul. The only thing I want to do as a pastor, other than my work to glorify Christ, not me, uh, is that the preaching, teaching of the word of God that happens in this place would be effective spiritually. Meaning people come to know Christ as savior and saints grow up in the faith. That's it. I mean, that's effectiveness. And Paul is saying, I just want you to pray that we would be effective. And how he does it is interesting. Uh, he uses a command in the Greek text. He commands them to pray for him. He doesn't just give them a suggestion. He said, oh no, I'm commanding you as your spiritual leader to pray for me because he's in a spiritual battle just like they are. Uh, it's a present tense command, meaning when you think of us, constantly remember to pray for us because the devil never sleeps. And so... He says, pray that we are um, able to spread uh, the word of the Lord. And what is that exactly? What does the word of the Lord mean? Um, if you go back to Acts chapter 13, verse 49, here's what we read about the word of the Lord. 
Same Greek terminology. Uh, it says the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. So the first word in the Greek text uh, is the Greek verb for spreading. And then, uh, then there's the next word is de, which is just the word and or, or but. And then the next word is ha lagos, or that's the word, followed by uh, tukurio, which is the, the Lord. So the word of the Lord. Uh, same, same grammatical formula uh, used back then when Paul was out, out preaching. Uh, what does that word of the Lord mean? When Paul says, pray for us that the word of the Lord would advance, uh, he's, he's talking about the gospel that they present when, when they go out. How do we know that? Well, if you go back uh, in, uh, up a couple of verses in chapter 13 to verse 38, uh, here's what you read was going on contextually. Uh, verse 38 uh, says, therefore, let it be known unto you, brethren, that through, the, through him, through Jesus, uh, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So he tells them that the word of the Lord that he talks about in uh, verse 49 is really, really related to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, you cannot become a believer. You cannot go, get into heaven you, if you don't know him as your savior. Because he died for our sins, Paul says, and then he, he rose again. That's the gospel. It's those two things. Uh, and he says uh, that the word of the Lord is effective because it helps people trade kingdoms. Satan's kingdom traded for, for God's kingdom. And you have to just pause and ask for yourself, um, have I traded kingdoms? Because not everybody has. Have I traded kingdoms? Uh, I had some people approach me last week after the service and tell me I'm one of those people who have not traded, you know, traded kingdoms. Great. I'm glad you're here. Because the word of God is working in your life. God's wooing you unto himself. Listen uh, and, and, and come to him in faith. And so uh, the, the, the tomb that is empty uh, changes everything. You know this. You should know this as a Christian. It changes everything. Because if Jesus died in time and space and, and rose from the, the grave in time and space, it doesn't matter what all the other religions say. They are moot because that's the greatest thing that ever happened. He is the Christ. So when Paul says here, let it be known to your brethren that through him, prepositions, as we say here at our church, are really important, right? Because that through means he's the means by which you get forgiveness of sins. That's how you get it, which means you don't get it through learning long prayers uh, in prayer books, um, uh, giving alms, doing this and that, uh, going to confession so many times a day, that, all those things. Uh, no, you only get forgiveness through him. And then he says in verse 39, and through him, the preposition again, uh, everyone who believes and the evidence of what he has done is freed from all things, your sin. And he says, you could not be freed through the law of Moses. You could, he says to the Jews, you could be, obey the law of Moses all you want. That obedience to the law does not save you. You have to have a faith relationship with the savior. So you have to stop and ask yourself, am I attempting to get into heaven by works of law, religious works, obedience to traditions? And Paul says to you, no, when we go out and preach, it is Christ died for our sins as the son of God, rose the third day. And only when you come to him in faith, are you saved? That, that, man, that message uh, is important because eternity is at stake. So he says, pray that we would be effective. Uh, I, I read these words um, and say, yeah, what would my prayer request be? Uh, it'd be that, uh, that what we do here in this building, uh, when we preach and teach here in, in the various venues, uh, that uh, we would see sinners trade kingdoms. That we, that we would see lives change, that we would see people delivered from false religious systems and come to know Christ uh, as the savior, that we would see people leave spiritual darkness that they've been in for years and that they would come walk into the light of Christ, um, that we would see uh, old and young people lined up to step into the baptismal waters, 
to, to identify with Christ. Uh, and that we would see a wicked city like Thessalonica was a wicked city. Uh, and we live in a kind of wicked city, don't we? But that we would see our wicked city uh, turn to Christ. What greater thing could happen? Because we know we can't vote in holiness, right? I try as we might. Uh, they're men and women of, of clay feet. And we need a spiritual revival. And Paul says, when I show up in a town, I'm there to present the gospel of God to the town. Uh, and so um, great things happen when the gospel is preached. I don't know how you feel about tattoos. What in the world is he talking about? Well, uh, because uh, not that I have any, don't worry, there's not a big ship on my chest or anything. Uh, and those, those eventually sink as you age, correct? Yeah. My wife tried to talk me into an armband tribal thing years ago. And I'm like, honey, that, that thing's going to be a wristband when I'm older. So anyway, uh, anyway, back to my sermon. What is that? What's tattooing got to do with the gospel of Christ? Because uh, a lot of people that are in uh, the tattoo world are into uh, the occult. And, you know, I have friends in California that were covered with occultic things before they got saved because that's just, you know, what it is. Um, uh, I don't know if you know Kat Von D. Oh, see, you do know. See, yeah. So what happened to her? Do you know? She got saved. She got saved. Covered in tattoos, major tattoo artist, covered in tattoos, deeply into the occult. Just, just uh, check out her name. It's K-A-T. Next word is V-O-N. And then the last part is just the letter D. Kat Von D. Uh, she got saved. And you should hear her testimony. It's amazing. So she got, she got baptized. So the old cat went under the water uh, and, and, and left the old cat behind. And the new woman that came out was a brand new woman in God's image. That's the power of the gospel of Christ. Go look at her life before the cross. Dark, occultic, everything. So were all of her friends and followers. Now she's a new woman in Christ. And her life has purpose and meaning. So Paul says, when I preach, I want someone like a cat Von D to come know Jesus because they find freedom. Um, how is the power of God, the gospel unleashed? What does Paul say? You have to pray for us. You got to pray for us. Uh, it's, when you pray for your spiritual leaders, whether it's your small group leader, pastors, whoever, uh, you're telling God how important you think the gospel is and the teaching of the word of God is enough to pray about it. God then listens to your prayer and goes, oh, I see you're serious about the advance of the gospel. And then he says, let me unleash the power of the gospel based on your prayer. Now, now, you think about that, you could sit back and go, well, God's all, it, it, well, God's all sovereign, is he not? Amen. Five people are, yeah. yes, God is sovereign. He's omnipotent and he can do anything. So he didn't really, doesn't really need us to pray, but he tells us to pray because he wants us to be stretched when we pray. So that when you pray, you see someone like a Kat Von D get saved and you're like, oh my Lord. Like my father-in-law, Dave, that served in Vietnam, Jewish atheist, not a nice one. I mean, didn't like the fact when I led Liz to Christ, he, he, he made her baptism day the worst day of her life. It was terrible when she got baptized. He, and he actually told her, I want my old daughter back, the party girl. But she, she never came back. And then uh, he died on Memorial Day, uh, or three, three days before Memorial Day, he, he died uh, in 93. And before he died, uh, he asked for a pastor to come talk to him. And he turned to Christ. And we never thought Dave would get saved. This Jewish atheist, he came to know Christ. And so God can do amazing things, but what do you got to do? You got to pray. So who are you praying for? And I'll put it this way, not to be egocentric, but do you pray for me? Yes, sir. One does. Praise God for you. Thank you. 
may you increase. Uh, you know, do you pray for me? Do you pray for, you know, uh, Pastor Michael? Do you, do you pray for all of us? There's a whole pastoral staff here. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's complicated. Uh, it's trying. It keeps you up at night sometimes. There's moments of great joy, uh, but there, there, it's tough sometimes because the devil goes after the pastors. Because uh, if he can get the pastors, he can get the sheep. And so I'm just asking you, pray for us. And the prayer is simple, that what we do would be spiritually effective. Number two, Paul says, um, I would pray that you would deliver us from mean, nasty people. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> Not that there are any in our area. Uh, verse two, and he says, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men. And then he tacks on just, you know, parenthetically, for not all have faith. Right. Uh, yeah, because not everybody's a believer when he goes to these towns. So he said, uh, I, I, my second request is, uh, first request is pray that we be effective. Second request is pray that we be delivered. Now, what did he not say? What did he not say? He, this is what he didn't say. Pray that we would be spared from facing perverse evil people. He, you see what I mean? See the difference? Or you, I know it's early in the morning to talk about nuances. Do you see the nuance difference? So what's, what, what does that mean? Well, we know that wherever Paul went, he faced perverse, evil people. So what's he saying? He's not saying, Lord, let me never run into one. No, he's saying, when I run into one, save me. See, you could write these sermons. Uh, yeah, help me. Uh, Acts chapter 14, day in the life of Paul, verse 1 came about that in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved that Jesus was the Messiah based on Paul's evidence, uh, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Uh, but the multitude of the city was divided. And some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made uh, by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and they did what you would do. Right. Who wants to get hit by a rock? Uh, they, they fled to the cities that were nearby and where they were in southern Turkey, uh, Laconia, Lystra, and Derby, and the surrounding region. And there they did what? Continued to preach. You would think that after... <laughs> You know, if somebody came in here and said after the end of the sermon, half the church is like, next Sunday, we're stoning you. You would think the guy would go, ain't coming back there. Paul's like, no, I'm continuing to speak. And so he, he did not stop speaking. Um, so when the unbelievers did not know how to handle Paul, uh, his arguments were just absolutely, as I said, airtight. Because uh, he's, a, he's a Pharisee rabbinical student. He knows the Old Testament. He can sit down in the synagogue and tell him, let me explain why Jesus is the Messiah based on the Old Testament text. Uh, and they didn't know what to do with him. So when they ran out of ways to refute him, they just said, he just needs to be stoned. Just need to kill him. So uh, while he is in Lystra, uh, Paul heals a man uh, who had never walked in verses 9 to 10 of chapter 14. Uh, and you would think if you saw the incontrovertible evidence of someone given new legs that never walked, you would immediately believe the messenger. Hmm. Nah, that wasn't the way that it was. Uh, Jewish troublemakers uh, followed Paul uh, from Antioch and Iconium in southern uh, Turkey and sowed seeds of disinformation about Paul. Uh, and crowds are fickle, are they not? 
Wow. Uh, they turned against Paul. Uh, they grabbed him by his tunic. They drug him outside of town in Lystra. They stoned him. And when he was knocked unconscious, they looked at his body laying there in the dirt. And someone must have said, we got him. He's dead. And they left. Well, he came too. <laughs> and he got up, brushed himself off, uh, and, uh, and, and walked uh, on into uh, other cities to preach the gospel. And then if you read verse 21 of chapter 14, he goes back to Lystra. If you were stoned in a city for preaching the gospel, left for dead. I mean, have you ever been knocked out before? Have you ever been knocked out? Oh, no, really? Like, yeah, well, I've been knocked out like playing football. And when you're knocked out, it's like, it's weird. It's like, you lose that part of your life. It's like, you don't know what happened. I turned to catch a pass one time and hit me in the forehead. And, and boom, I was out. And whatever happened in, in the ensuing minutes, when my friends were, I woke up and they're all hit, hovering over me. You dead? What's up, man? I mean, you know, I don't remember. Like, what, hap what happened? You would think if they, well, you were stoned, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can feel it. But you would think you wouldn't go back. Paul's like, now nah, I'm going back there. How competitive are you for the gospel of Christ? See what I mean? They at work, they tell you, well, you can't wear that crosshair. Hmm? Watch me wear it. That was Paul. I mean, Paul's like, I'm, go I'm going back there. So he goes back there. But he says, Lord, uh, I need your people to pray for me that when I face perverse, evil people, that when I get into situations where they want to stone me again, you provide a way of escape. Isn't that an interesting prayer? Because I can tell you how we would probably pray, God, never let me face someone who doesn't like what I'm saying about you. You know, it's, I don't want to be that uncomfortable. Paul says, oh no, God, make me uncomfortable. Just, just save me. Now, what's interesting is he says, uh, save me from perverse and evil men. Uh, the word perverse, uh, autopon in Greek, means something that's out of place. So something out of, out of place is like, uh, if you came to my house and you'd never been in my house before, uh, and you come into my uh, dining room and you see my Barca lounger on top of my uh, dining table, you'd be telling your wife, this is kind of odd. I mean, they do weird things on the West Coast. I guess they... This is what they do. I mean, that's out of place, right? That's autopon. It's out of place. It's not what you expected. So what is evil? Evil is autopon. It's something out of It's something you did not expect that you're like, huh? Like I, I read this week that the state of New Jersey sued a school district for daring to share with the parents that their children were transitioning to another gender. The state is taking on the school district. And I'm reading this article and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of upside down world is this? What should the state be doing? Protecting the rights of the parents and those are their children. But the state's like, no, those are our children. Oh, no, they're not. But that's out of pun. That's, that's like out of place. Paul says, save me from people like that. The second word he uses is the word paniros, or evil, evil men. Uh, it, it represents someone who is just, as we would say, um, you ever heard George Thorogood? You know who this is? Rock, rock guy, the song Bad to the Bone? Yeah, that's this. Pani Ross is a person who's just bad to the bone. They are just evil. That is just what they do. Uh, when I look at what goes on in our culture with the, the Hamas demonstrations in our country, and I, and I look at this word Pani Ross, and I see people going around ripping off posters of, of people that are held captive, innocent people, it's shocking. It happens in our country because they don't want you to know what evil has been perpetrated. So they're pulling down all the evidence. That is this word. It's wicked, extremely wicked. Paul says, save me from people like that. 
Uh, Jesus encountered these kind of people, did he not? All the time. Um, last week of his life, he's on the Temple Mount teaching and preaching. And what did the Jews do in Matthew 26, uh, verses 1 to 3? It says, when they saw him teaching and preaching and doing miracles and stuff, they hatched a plan to kill him. See, that's what they do with people that are bold for God. They try to silence them somehow. And Paul says, trust me from those type of people. Uh, those kind of people, the, uh, the, the, the ones that are what Paul calls here uh, uh, evil and wicked, perverse, uh, they still exist today. But he's not saying, Lord, don't ever let me talk to one. Just provide a way of escape. Because here's the thing. Why does he want to be near them? Because Jesus died for them. Do you understand that? He died for them to be saved. They need to be saved. And so Paul says, let me be near him to lead him to the gospel. But Lord, protect me so I can live another day and preach the gospel. Then the last thing that he prays for is that we would be people uh, in the last days of progress, spiritual progress. Verse three, but the Lord, he says to the Christians there is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Uh, the very first word in the Greek text is the word uh, faithful, pistos. That's the first word in the Greek text, not in the English text. It, uh, the first word is faithful and it's out of place in the word order because he says, I want to underscore the fact to you that when you're facing persecution, never fail to understand that that's who God is. Because what's the devil going to whisper in your ear? You're nothing. You're toast. I totally got you. You're going to lose your job. You're never going to make rank, et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. All the bad stuff. And the, and the Lord is telling you, no, I, I'm always faithful. Remember, the Lord is the one who told you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, and he gives you his word. He's going to fulfill his word. So Paul says to the Christians that are being uh, persecuted, never question the faithfulness of God. Um, have you ever hired an Uber driver, reserved a, a ride, and he did not show up? <laughs> How did you feel about that? <laughs> not Christian, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't been there before. You, you plan. Uh, we did this when we were in Italy. We arranged for a guy to show up, and right before we needed him, uh, we were informed he's not coming. That is not faithful. I need to find that Italian guy somewhere and, and to talk to him one day. I mean, serious? Uh, you, you want somebody to be faithful. Have you ever bought something and you got it from Amazon or wherever and it, and it fell apart, you had issues with it and you called the company because it said on the website because you read the reviews, we're, we're there for you and you call them because this has happened to me and you end up talking to AI and you just, I want a person. I was on the phone this week and I kept telling the little automated voice which told me when I called, I am here to answer anything you can basically throw at me. I'm like, okay, cool. And every question I threw at that automated AI voice, uh, it didn't get it. I just kept saying, operator, operator, <laughs> operator. I finally got a real person. And then when I finally got him, I'm talking to him. Then they hung up on me. I mean, it's like, I need to talk to these people. And then, and then they sent me later a survey. <laughs> How do you feel about our company? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, short little survey, I filled it all in. You know, if they gave you 500 words, I was at 499. I was, yeah, because you got to be faithful. But when you look at Jesus, you call him, you don't get an automated voice. He doesn't, he doesn't hear your voice and go, oh, it's you again with issues. He hangs up. No, he doesn't hang up. He always listens. Paul says, never forget, he will be faithful and he will do what for you? Strengthen you because we are weak and protect you from what? The evil one. Now, the word one there is not in the Greek text. They just add this word in to make sense. So it could be to protect me, protect me from the devil. 
or protect me from just flat out evil. Protect me from it. Verse four, he says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we've commanded in these letters. Now we've seen you in action. We know you're gonna grow up in the faith, but we're still challenging you to continue to grow up in the faith. What do I want from you as your pastor? That you continue to grow in the faith and that I would continue to grow in the faith. And that together, when the Lord comes for us, we can look back and say, uh, Lord, we have grown much. Uh, and that's what he prays for them. Verse five, he says, and that we may direct your hearts into the love of God uh, and into the steadfastness of Christ. He says that your heart will be directed into the love of God. This is love for God, that you would love him more. How do you develop a love relationship with Jesus? That's a whole sermon series. How do you do that? Well, talk to him, you know, have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him about your what? Troubles. He's going he's gonna to be listening to you. Talk, talk to him. Um, uh, give him glory when you see things that are just glorious. Give him glory. Uh, tell him you love him. Uh, read his word uh, and thank him for the word when it speaks to your day. Uh, but begin that love relationship. And he says, grow in the love of Christ. Because when you grow in the love of Christ, as you face persecution, it takes the edge off of it. So grow in the love of Christ. And then he says, uh, grow in the steadfastness of Christ. Uh, the word steadfast in, in Greek is hupomone. It's a preposition wedded to a verb. The, the verb is meno, which means to remain. So if you put a preposition in front of the verb meno, it means uber remain, really remain steadfast. It means you plant your feet and you do not move. Uh, this word is also translated patience because what is patience? It's a person who doesn't give up. It's also a word translated in the New Testament to, to endure. No matter what the hardship is, you endure. What, what do I want in my life? What do I want in your life? That until the Lord calls you home, you are faithful till the end, no matter what. How many army rangers are here as we close? No, no, not by, not by voice, but by, how many army rangers are here? Just put your hand up. Yes. Now, what was your war cry? What, who, uh? I think it's, he, I think it's Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did a little research on Army Rangers this week because I know a few here at the church. And I found out that to get through Ranger School, 40% of the men don't make it, or even women. They don't make it. It's too tough. Because according to their, their website, when I, I was reading uh, West Point, some officers writing about it, uh, they, they try you in every which way. They use cold. They use heat. They use hunger. They use physical stress. They use bugs. You know what I'm saying? They put you in water. I mean, everything. Uh, and what are they doing? Well, they're challenging the candidate's character. Uh, here's what one uh, officer says, Lieutenant uh, General Robert Coulson, United States Military Academy, uh, superintendent uh, when this was written, uh, uses the analogy that uh, uh, Ranger School is like a cup of coffee, he says, to explain your character. He says, all of your values, duty, selfless, service, courage, respect, are all poured into the cup until it's almost overflowing. Then life, it says, gives you your elbow a bump. Uh, and your values spill out, exposing your true character. Ranger school is more about getting into a car wreck. Is he right? Uh, it is collision. It's a collision. It's not a jostle. After weeks of starvation, sleep deprivation, pushing toward physical limits and stress, all while being evaluated, your true character comes spilling out. I read that and I thought, man, that, that's a spiritual ranger. Because what happens? I got saved. I thought it was easy street to glory. Oh no, as you're bearing your cross with Christ, it's gonna to be tough. And, and as things come your way, you're gonna meet perverse, evil people. 
They're going to try your character. It's going to be like a collision and your character is going to go spilling out. And at the end of the day, Paul says, may you have the character of Christ. What's that? Steadfast endurance. When reviled, what did he do? He endured. Uh, when people were hostile to his preaching teaching, he endured. Uh, when he was mistreated, he endured. When he was unjustly st struck about the face, when he could have stri stricken back, he, he, he endured. Uh, when they sought to intimidate him with the prospects of a crucifixion, he set his face like flint to the cross. He endured. That's like a spiritual ranger. That's us. That's a great prayer for a pastor for his people. Uh, may I be like that? May you be like that? Because that's what makes hell shudder. Because those saints do great things for God. Have a great Veterans Day. Why don't we stand? I'll pray for you. God, thank you for the opportunity to just uh, read a, a prayer of Paul, his prayer life. Uh, honest man, authentic, transparent. May we be the same. And may we hold our, our position where you've called us. Uh, until you call us home, might we be faithful and understand that you're faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.